Hello and welcome to Radical Exchange Replayed. Before we get started, I want to remind you to apply to the Radical Exchange Fellowship Program. It starts this January and applications close December 13th. So if you are working on any kind of public good oriented business or arts project or other sorts of program that is creating value for the public as opposed to just a few individuals or investors, then this is the accelerator program for you. Apply and connect with a like-minded community and meet others who can support your work. With that said, I am super excited to introduce today's conversation. This one is called Post-Religiosity, an Interfaith Discussion, and it's between Shukei Matsumoto and Rabbi Amichai Laulevi. Shukei is a Buddhist monk in Komyoji Temple. Born in 1979 in Japan, he graduated with a BA degree in literature from the University of Tokyo. Right after graduation, he joined Komyoji Temple and initiated new projects such as Temple Cafe Project. In 2008, the association was awarded Shorikai Matsutaro Prize from a Foundation for Education. He completed an MBA from Indian School of Business as an ambassadorial scholar of Rotary Foundation in 2011. Rabbi Amichai is the founding spiritual leader of Lab Shul in New York City and the creator of Storytelling Inc. An Israeli-born Jewish educator, writer, and performance artist, he received his rabbinical ordination from the Jewish Theological Cemetery of America in 2016. Rabbi Amichai is a member of the Global Justice Fellowship of the American Jewish World Service, a founding member of the Jewish Emergent Network, and serves on the faculty of the Reboot Network. Both of these gentlemen are amazing thinkers about spirituality and religion in today's world, and this is an incredible, authentic exchange between the two of them, so I hope you enjoy it. With that, let's get to the conversation. It's nice to meet you. You you are in Kyoto? Yes, I'm in Kyoto, and you are in New York. In Harlem, in New York, yes. It's morning here, it's evening by you. Yes. Uh, This is our meeting across time and space. Yes, nice to meet you. So I I really uh, wanted to see you for long since I listened to the program of on being podcast yeah so once you showed up in the program right uh a few years ago yes okay uh, it was really an honor to be on it since that time i have been longing for uh, meeting you to talk about post religion uh, so today our topic will be post religion and I, I want to share with you uh, about my view to the world in which we live right now. So I think uh, we are living in the age of post-religion. The reason I feel so is that when I meet friends across the world, uh, Western countries, Asia, or even in Middle East and Africa, wherever when I meet uh, my friends, Almost everybody says to me that, like this, I'm not religious at all, but I appreciate spirituality. Do you understand this feeling? Of course. Yeah. And even as a Buddhist monk, I agree with with their idea. I think uh, we are living in the age of post-religion, because when we talk about religion, it has some connotation of boundary creating boundary, right? So now in this world, we see so many conflicts in any fields. And I know religion itself brings 
some boundaries which create uh, conflict uh, between two parties or uh, among different parties. Okay, so I want to uh, introduce myself a little bit. I born in the northernmost in Japan, uh, Hokkaido Island. Uh, in Japan, most of the monks become monks uh, because of their family. It's a family heritage. But I'm not from a temple family. The reason I became a monk is partly because I was scared of death when I was a child. So in Japan, when we have funeral, in general, we invite a Buddhist monk to facilitate the funeral ceremony. So I thought that in Buddhism, there must be something that could be key to solve my you know, fear on death. So for me, Buddhism looked as a gate to solve my fear to the death, right? Apart from that, there is another reason. Do you know a massacre case by a cult religious group called Om Shinrikyo? Almost 25 years ago, there was a cult religious group which committed a crime, very big crime, that was a massacre, the murder case in the central of Tokyo by a gas, the toxic gas. I was shocked because for me, Buddhism would be something very good that can solve my problem my fear to death. But actually, the Om Shinrikyo, uh, the, the, the cult group, described themselves as an authentic Buddhist group. But finally, they committed a crime that, uh, you know. So partly, I was fascinated by uh, the original concept of Buddhism. But at the same time, I was skeptical on institutions, you know, the groups of the religious groups. Anyway, I pursued my path to Buddhism, and finally I became a Buddhist monk. At that time, when I became a Buddhist monk, almost 20 years ago from now, for me, traditional Buddhist group should be good, better than that sort of cult, uh, religious new you know Buddhist group, but gradually I came to understand that more or less more or less that sort of tendency to so I mean Buddhism uh, should be originally something that free people from any boundaries spiritually mentally but when it comes to religious group, even Buddhist group become something that not free people from any boundary, but create boundary for people and uh, become dogmatic, authoritative, and uh, not open. Yeah, exclusive. So I finally understand that Yes, original Buddhism concept should be good, but it's a nature of the people who follow any kinds of religion. 
to be more institutional and to create exclusive group and become more or less political. I'm, I'm not sure I'm using the correct word, but yeah, I believe I, I can <laughs> tell something to you. So yeah, that's why my friends who are willing to pursue their own spirituality are going away from religious institution, but try to learn something from spiritual people like me. Yeah, so I think there is something to be changed in the religious world, because I still believe in religion. There are so many wisdom that is useful for those who pursue their uh, spirituality, but it's not accessible and only uh, limited to the people within religious groups. So I think it's time for religion to be democratized so that everybody can learn from the ancient wisdom which has been nurtured in a religious culture. Yeah, so then I met you <laughs> through the podcast. And you said, in the podcast, you said very interesting things like uh, everybody-friendly, artist-driven, pop-up, and God-optional. Those concepts are very, very much post-religious. So, <laughs> so this tagline resonates with my idea. So I'm very happy to talk about post-religion with you here. So I hope there is something in my talk that resonates with uh, you. Yeah. First of all, I want to say, as a fellow spiritual seeker, I will use the word religious leader very carefully in this context, <laughs> post-religious leader. Yeah. Uh, I'm really honored that the words that I uh, spoke with Krista Tippett on her show some years ago resonate and that an enlightened being far away in Japan is listening and is connecting. Mm -hmm. And from the little we have spoken so far, I really feel your presence and your deep questions. And it's um, such a gift that in the middle of this pandemic and in the middle of this political crisis that at least in the United States we're in, and with so much pain on the planet, there are the gifts of connection that brought us together. You are a Buddhist monk teacher in Kyoto, and I'm a rabbi in New York, and that we get to sit together and hear each other and learn together and plan ahead together. So that is a blessing, and I'm very grateful for this morning here. And I'm very intrigued by your thinking, where on the one hand, it feels to me that what we're talking about here is semantics. Mm. What people say to me as they say to you, oh, I'm not religious, but I'm spiritual. Or um, just yesterday, uh, a woman whose father died said to me, listen, I want you to be the rabbi, just like you said, you know, the fear of death. And I want you to be at the funeral, but not too much, you know, don't make it religious. Not too much God. And I said, listen, it's your family funeral. I'm here to serve. Do you want the mourner's prayer? Yes, yes, please. Play. Yes, the mourner's prayer. 
And do you want this particular? Yes, that too. And uh, I said, so everything you just described is, is religious language. Mm -hmm. That's what we have. And we use it for the occasions when our soul needs to be part of something bigger. It doesn't imply that you believe in God. It doesn't imply that you believe in the Jewish version of God. There are many Jewish versions of God. But by inviting me to be here with you and to help preside and hold this moment, your spirit wants to be held in the spirit of something larger than this moment, which is what happens when someone dies. Mm. So that's why I'm saying the semantics of saying, when people say to us, I'm not religious, I'm spiritual. And when we say, and I love you, and I want to understand more your definition of post-religion, I think both you and me are saying what so many others have said before, especially founders of religions, when they said, the idea works, the packaging doesn't work. Yeah. You know, if to use corporate speak, right? The content is good, the marketing or the packaging, the delivery isn't working, the access isn't working. So I'm thinking, I mean, in Islam, when Muhammad, from what I know, began Islam, he was looking at the various religions that were then practiced where he was in what's today Saudi Arabia and in the Jewish and the pagan and the proto-Arabic Semitic. And out of that, he created something new. When Luther knocked on the church and put up the notice that you need to translate the Bible into German, because if it's hmm. in Latin, it just belongs to the priest. When Jesus goes to the Jewish temple and says, what are you doing? It's all about money. You forgot about love. They're basically saying what you're saying. And I know less about the Buddha, but from the little I know, I think the Buddha was pretty much the same, looking around and saying, hey, what about suffering? Like, what about love? So the institutions become prisons of the spirit mm. instead of mm. being the playground of, of pleasure and growth. And I think it's an ongoing process. I will say that for Judaism, my work, I feel, is to be an archaeologist. Archaeologist. Like, yeah, because I look at the Judaism that I inherited from my parents, and I like some of it, but I dislike many of the prohibitions and the constrictions, the fear-based limitations. Uh, yeah. But I know, yeah. because I've been studying, that's been my life's work, to go as an archaeologist deep, deep into the origin of what the oldest, oldest Judaism is about. And say, oh, that's what we want. We want the spirit, not the religion. We want the love, not the fear. And we know there's going to be times when you need to have laws and limits and boundaries. You need boundaries, right? I need to close my door so that I'm safe but I need to know when I open my door, so to bring you in. So I'm very curious where you as a Buddhist teacher in Japan with its own tradition of tradition and things need to be kept the same way. And I'm coming from the Jewish tradition. We're looking at what we inherited, the building blocks of our religions and say, okay, we can keep this, put that away. Let's go back like archeologists into the core of what the Buddha wanted or what I can't say it's what Moses wanted because I think my version of Judaism goes before Moses mm. it's a little it's even more revolutionary I want to go before patriarchy and before before the written text 
and sort of reimagine a Judaism that is, it's more Hebrew than Jewish in some way. It's more about the nomadic than the settled, but it celebrates the best of spirit and challenges some of the homophobic, misogynistic, patriarchal, right? I mean, I have colleagues, family who are rabbis or Jews who would look at this conversation between us as at best as nonsense and at worst as heresy. Like, what does a Jew have to learn from a Buddhist? We have, we have all the answers. You're like, oh. no, we don't. So here we are. I mean, I'm excited for many more conversations. This, let's consider this our, our second. So what do you think post-religion, once we take the semantics away, what does it look like? Right? You, hmm. you created a virtual temple, and now so much of your ritual because of the pandemic is online. I'm doing the same. So what do you think this moment is giving us as far as translating the ideas of post-religion into, into action, into how yeah. service works differently for people? What you talk resonates so much with me. But if I try to pick up one element you talked, I want to focus on fear. Yeah, I want to talk about fear. So post-religion, previous religion, I mean, previous religion emphasized fear too much from my view. So I have so many monk friends across Japan, even in other uh, religious denominations, other groups. Okay, so before talking about it, I want to briefly explain the situation of Japanese Buddhism. Buddhism itself is universal. The basic concept is the same, but under universal Buddhism, there are so many different paths. So Buddhism is a path to become Buddha. In other words, to be enlightened, right? The path to get enlightenment, there are so many different paths. And this group focus on this path. This group appreciate this path like this. So even in Japan, there are so many different paths and different groups, different sects, right? Organizations. And what I'm doing in Japan is I started an initiative to teach management of temples for monks. <laughs> so I, before starting this initiative, I got MBA. I studied business administration so that I can teach those new skill and knowledge for Buddhist monks. Right? So it's interesting that under Buddhism, those groups cannot talk to each other because we are the true Buddhism. We are the true Buddhism. Our Buddhism is the best. So this sort of mindset is, you know, <laughs> everywhere. So even within Buddhism, there uh, wasn't communication with communication. But after I started this initiative, okay, so forget about Buddhism, but whatever Buddhism you have, you need to maintain and get better management of your temple. So let's learn together about management. <laughs> that worked very much. So, yeah, so if we have 
a common you know purpose uh, we can get together so in my school i have been doing this initiative for nine years and through these nine years i have almost over 600 alumni monks from different group right who are not used to have conversation with each other but now very actively uh, engaging together so through my experience i understand that why why they stick to their group i mean our buddhism is the best kind of mindset because they were scared of having conversation with other religious group yeah i can understand if i'm a citizen in a small village i would be scared of going out to and meet a stranger from other village who speak different language who think in different value system i would be scared of meeting with people from other village so i understand their mindset but once they get together and know each other then their fear disappear then we can nurture an authentic friendship so i think fear could be the key to be solved and if we try to push religion forward for post religious age our vision should be the world world with no fear fearlessness 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 that's yeah. beautiful i love what you're saying about how i mean i want i want to go back to the question of the mba and the management because i think mm-hmm. post religion we have to think about that so i'm very curious mm-hmm. about that i just want to say something about fear 100% i agree as somebody who comes from the jewish tradition where for reasons both justified and perhaps exaggerated mm-hmm. going back a long long way again in my archaeological dig into the evolution of of my people's path the fear of the other the fear of what's going to challenge my assumptions the fear of others who will dilute my truth the fear that yeah. fear fear and we're living in this moment in the 21st century where uh, the globalization and the interconnectedness i mean again pandemic i think is showing us something very profound that we're just beginning to see where the languages of either or and boundaries and binaries and separations and i'm better than you because i'm white and you are wiser than me you know all those things that we've inherited and cultural ethnic religious political systems in some places in the world are being challenged mm-hmm. and the old norms are pushing back with nationalistic yeah border the deeper fear in there that i'm aware of is that in my tradition there's this dichotomy or there's a dance that has to do with spirit or the name that i like not i like less is god i don't like the word god i prefer spirit or existence or love and one can come towards spirit from fear i will be punished god is there to get me and that's part of the god that's in the bible not the only face of god or and i come to it with love yeah bad things will happen earthquakes will happen some people will use religion for bad yes 
Some people will beat their loved ones. Yes. But God isn't fear. God is love. And it's on the humans to learn how to lean into love and be less in fear. And I feel one of the paradigm shifts we're in the middle of right now mm -hmm. is moving from fear into love. Yeah. And taking our, our religion into post-religion with this move from I'm afraid of death. I'm afraid of punishment. I'm afraid of somebody else. I'm afraid of someone who's not me. I'm afraid of failure into, into love. One of the ways I'm learning a lot about moving from fear to love and from failure to practice is my meditation practice, which is, of mm. course, comes from, from Vipassana, from Buddhism, and has been westernized in many ways. So I'm a meditator and a practitioner of the path. So I'm sort of Buddhist. <laughs> you know, Jubu, as we say, I'm a Jewish Buddhist. And I am so excited that here you are across the world, but we're in each other's rooms right now, thinking about how our paths become one path mm. that is a little different, but at the essence, it's the same essence. And then once we take the fear out of the equation, then, like you said, then we enjoy so much of togetherness and reinvent something now yeah. I'll, I'll be my own challenge and that's my question to you is like okay fine so you guys are friends i do a lot of interfaith work i know you do too so is the post-religious vision where you have a temple and i have a temple maybe it's a building most likely it's going to be online as like well. you like you mine is pop-up <laughs> And now online, right? Much yeah, online. So there are so many opportunities here for us to not just work together and do things together, but then also investigate where does your version of Buddhism inform my version of Judaism and my version of Judaism inform your version of Buddhism? And then the next frontier will be, well, what it will look like for your community and my community to come together, not just to have tea and say hello, but actually to practice spiritual warfare together and i'm using the warfare very carefully so we can take on the ills of the world together and how do we not give up some of our vocabulary and some of our symbols and some of our liturgy and our beloved traditions but share them with each other so there's something in the post-religious that if we take it to the next frontier is very radical yeah very radical but my point is, I believe you agree. So my point is, in what sense uh, we should be radical? In my view, and in my experience, in what sense should I be radical? So as I, as I told you, we who pursue spirituality, the spiritual seekers, uh, can learn so many things from our ancient wisdom. And that wisdom includes not only the knowledge, but practical and the physical way of meditation or the dietary habit or the food and the living, anything, right? You taught me about cleaning as a yes, yes, yes. spiritual path that I'm so grateful for. Yeah, so cleaning is also a very good example. So we, the uh, spiritual seekers, can learn 
so many things from ancient knowledge, including the not only the knowledgeable things, but spiritual, uh, the physical things. So we don't need to change so much radically the wisdom itself, but we should change radically how we spot the light on those wisdom. Mm. The wisdom itself is still very, you know, valuable and even should be valuable if it won't be much changed. So we need conservation on the wisdom itself, but we need to change radically how we spot the light on it. Yes. So, which is, so I'm going to say some things maybe for our next conversation. Yeah. I'm very intrigued that I don't know how many Buddhist monks there are out there with an MBA who teach oh, yeah. management. <laughs> um, not, not many. It's, it's, you're quite a rare breed. You know, I stumbled on my rabbinate, stumbled. I chose it when I turned 40. I've been doing work for many years before that in theater and in education because what I thought was I want to share the wisdom with people. And my, my concept was that art Mm-hmm. And theater and storytelling is the way to get to the core truths of love and wisdom and practice and this reimagining Judaism for now. But people don't want religious. They're like, oh, I don't want to go to synagogue or temple. But they will go to the theater. Yeah. Maybe they will go to the synagogue and instead of being bored, we will make a theatrical storytelling that takes the Bible and makes it into something exciting. So after doing that for about 20 years, my path actually led me towards becoming a rabbi and doing the same work from inside so we can reimagine, as you say, what of the wisdom do we put our spotlight on and how do we repackage it? So I do think in today's world of marketing and consumerism, (laughs) this is like we're using business words because there are, forgive me, there are clients. consumers, seekers, practitioners who come to us, right? People come to you, people come to me, people go to church, to mosque, to to the ashram or to wherever, to to therapy. You know, in America, you know, the AA, where people go for recovery from substance abuse, is a religious order Mm -hmm. in a way. So we all go to where we need our soul to be held and to have practiced and symbol and community. The Sangha is so important, the Minyan, as we say in Hebrew. But what strikes me is interesting, and I'm living in New York in the big apple of consumerism, Mm -hmm. but I think, unfortunately or fortunately, this is a global reality right now. The majority of people who come to me come to me as consumers. Mm. In other words, I have a product that they want because it's going to make their lives better. If they pay or don't pay, however that works. But for you to teach monks how to better manage their temple means that your reality and my reality are the same. We have a product. Yeah. Product is very old. It's very important. But people have been used in the capitalistic system to be the consumers of a product. If it's good for me, I'll come for it. If it's not, it's not. And actually, what's radical about what we are the custodians of is that our product doesn't exactly work in the consumerist model. Hmm. 
because you're not just a consumer, you are a co-creator. If you're coming to the temple for tea, if you're coming to meditate, you're here to give, you're here to get, and you're here to give. And it's a lifelong practice. Yeah. And I would say that one of my frustrations as a rabbi in the modern American system is that people come to me when they come once a year for the big high holy day. They will come when their grandma died. They will come when they want a baby naming. But during the year, the daily practice, they don't show up that often. That's just the reality of modern religion in American. Today is the day 91 since I've been in quarantine, and I've started a daily meditation online. Every day at 3 p.m., I've been on and I've been leading with musicians and Zen teachers and yoga teachers, every time someone else. There's about 50 people that show up every day for 90 days now from all over the world. Now, they don't show up as consumers. I mean, yes, they're consumers, but they show up as seekers. And what I want to learn from you and with you, how do we use business management and how do we use these post-religious ideas to radically invite people to show up to their spirit and to their spiritual practice less as consumers and more as seekers. Not because I want more people in my Zoom room or in my temple, perhaps, hmm. but mostly because I want to be helpful, as I know you are and want to be, to bring this to people so that their lives are happier and we are more helpful to each other. Hmm. And that is practice. Like, how do we get people to want to show up? Yeah, so it sounds like a, a matter of consumer behavior, <laughs> right? The, how can we change the consumer behavior? And I, I think I uh, consciously not to use faith word. So at the moment, I say something about faith, everything goes stuck. So the conversation comes in. I mean, faith is something uh, we cannot know each other. Your faith is your faith. My faith is my faith. So, yeah, so I'm not trying to focus on too much on having faith, but having good routine in your daily life is very powerful to keep your well-being. So faith is something just uh, within you. It cannot be accessible from others. But actually, from Buddhist perspective, my wellness, well-being is not just within my body, but my existence is connected with everything, right? Uh, so interconnected. My body and my thought, what I talk, are interconnected with everything surrounding myself. So... Uh, that's why I emphasize the importance of cleaning. Cleaning uh, practice gives you a great opportunity to understand how myself is uh, interconnected with others. I think we should consider my well-being more holistically, not just seeing the faith itself, but from many aspects. I think we should see my existence. So, yeah, I understand. You at attract so many seekers to your product. And those practice helps those seekers to change their behavior 
so that they can live better, not only uh, mentally, but physically and socially, yeah, so holistically. Yeah. I, I, I mean, our time is probably going to be up in a moment, but I want to, in our next conversation in this lovely conference or not, now that we have each other's mm -hmm. Zoom credentials, mm -hmm. the notion of cleaning, again, has been so moving reading I didn't read your whole book, but I read excerpts and I want to read the rest. Just, you know, again, in my private practice here in quarantine, being here home alone these last three months, the daily cleaning, the daily practice from meditation to just cooking my own food has become this meditative way of saying, how do I keep maintenance yeah. of, of well-being? And how does that ripple out? And I had, as you were speaking, I was thinking of, a few years ago, I took my community to a beach. We did a beach cleanup day. Hmm. And that was the practice. It was part of us helping the world. And it, it makes me think that maybe one of the ways that we can go post-religion is forget faith for a moment. It's very private. But what can we do together to walk the talk of our commitment to well-being and beyond the fear? Yeah. Um, maybe there's some kind of a world cleanup project that we can... Uh, hmm we can help initiate right like you in japan and i'm in new york and like we all on the same day take a beach and go clean a beach it's all the same beach <laughs> somewhere it's the same ocean um, yeah interconnected well, yeah interconnected cleanup day um my friend i have so many more questions for you and i hope we'll uh, be in many more dialogues really i think you're onto something by coining this notion of post-religion it's just semantics on the one hand mm -hmm. but obviously inside of it there is something much more radical that we are we are looking for to get beyond capitalism and consumerism and the the brokenness of the religious institutions mm -hmm. and to reinvent sacred space and reinvent the covenant of community both globally and locally there's something very rich here that I think these conversations are sought and these solutions are need to be invented because the past will not necessarily, I mean, the past will serve us, but some of the containers need to be readjusted. Yeah. 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 I believe uh, this conversation helps to open the gate for the, the age of post-religion. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Here's to the gate of post-religion, my brother. <laughs> what an honor. Yeah, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Well, we're going to hand it over to our friends here at the conference. And may we continue and be well, be in peace, be healthy. And, yes. uh, and we'll, we'll pick this up soon again. Yes. Thank, thank you so Absolutely. much. Absolutely. Huge thanks to Shukai and Amichai for that exchange. Thanks, everyone, for listening and have a great weekend.